What's up, NBA fans? Welcome back to another episode of Full Court Press, brought to you by Geek Vibes Nation. I'm your host, Nick Smith. Joining me today is Jawan Carter. What's up, Jawan? What's going on? Ready to go over some uh, free agency talk with you. Yeah, we need to catch up. Uh, as our listeners know, I was out of town for an extended period of time, and uh, I was I was bad. Uh, I kind of dropped off the radar. Uh, was was uh, so, somewhat off the grid, if you will. Um, Joan, you were able to finally reach me uh, via phone call, <laughs> um, but uh, it was so funny. Like Joan, like called me, and he's like. Uh, hey man, just wanted to check in. I was kind of getting worried about you. Like, <laughs> I haven't heard from you in like ten days. Like, everything cool? Like, yeah, man. I'm just, I'm just on the road, and like, I don't, I don't think I hardly got on Facebook. Like, maybe two times or something. So, um, I, I encourage everybody, if you can, to take a week or more and just go out on the road and and completely or at least for the most part, cut yourself off from social media um, and just get immersed in life. Uh, it's it's quite the experience. Um, but now that I'm back, we are playing catch-up. We are playing free agency catch-up. Uh, so we got a lot to talk about um, that has happened over the course of, you know, pretty much the last week. Um, so let's jump right in. Uh, the Denver Nuggets uh, have been very active. Uh, Nikola Jokic is expected to accept a five-year, $148 million extension, and Will Barton agreed in principle to a four-year, $54 million deal. Uh, And the Nuggets have also traded Wilson Chandler to Philadelphia to clear cap space for these signings. Now, they didn't actually have to clear cap space to re-sign these guys, but they are so strapped for cash they are headed towards the luxury tax and this at least alleviates some of that they are still by my calculations with these figures still going to be about maybe eight to twelve million dollars in the luxury tax so they still have some more cap they probably would like to clear to get out of the luxury tax Um, moving Kenneth Fareed has been widely reported and that would certainly help them to do that so that's still a possibility but Let's discuss, uh, you know, the moves they've made so far, Jawan. Uh, Nikola Jokic, they decided not to essentially – they could have kept him on for this year at, like, a bargain, basement bargain deal at, like, $1.3 million. However, that would have resulted in him becoming an unrestricted free agent next season. They did not want to risk that. I think that is smart you don't want to risk losing your franchise player. I mean, this guy is the best passing big man in the league. He does lack some defensive uh, viability, but he can also stretch the floor. He is just a a remarkable player in, in this league, and we've only seen the tip of the iceberg as far as what he can achieve. What do you think about essentially the, the, the Nuggets not wanting to roll the dice and save the money this year and just go ahead and bite in the bullet and saying, we want you, we're going to go ahead and give you that max extension. Um, I, I like it. Uh, like I was saying before, it is a big that can pass, uh, rebound, and ultimately score. I was, I, was, uh, I was yelled at when I tried to insinuate that he plays good defense. Uh, I was yelling yeah, at he saying that he doesn't play. Yeah, he doesn't play. I guess 
when I said he plays defense, everything to me is relative to what the Knicks don't do. So I, I look at a guy like <laughs> he plays no defense. But I look at a guy like uh, like uh, that the Nuggets have, and I'm like, well, that's better than what we have over in New York. So it's some kind of defense. Um, but no, he does rebound at a at, you know at, at a good level. He is an offensive threat, and he passes the ball. I, I don't know any other big man, like actual center, that can pass as great uh, as well as he does in the NBA today. There's nobody. I wanted to say, I wanted to say Boogie, but he doesn't pass that often enough for him to be a good enough passer. Um, yeah, and he doesn't so pass as like. You don't see him throw in these crazy, ridiculous, like, no-look, behind-the-back, over-the-shoulder right. type passes that Jokic does. Right. There was one There was one pass Jokic did that I was like, LeBron? And I was like, oh, no, no, that's Jokic. Right. Like, wait, Jokic right. could do that? Yeah. That's crazy. Exactly. Um, yeah, honestly, so, no, I would say – I would say – honestly, I would probably say out of anybody who's not a point guard, Jokic and LeBron are the two best passers in the league. Like – there's some point guards yep. out there. I mean, obviously, like Rajon Rondo and, and guys like that that are just, just – that's even – I think you could maybe even throw Lonzo Ball into that category, even though he's still really young. But, like, out of anybody who's not a point guard, like, those two guys are the best passers in the NBA. So if you're a center and you're included in a conversation as far as the ability to pass the ball with LeBron James, like, you're, you're really, really good. Yeah, and and that's that's what makes him such a threat because if he starts to get hot offensively, and then you want to double him, like usually mm-hmm. everyone always goes, well, when you double, kick it out. Like this guy isn't that like that standard kind of you know uh, double team kind of thing. It's to where it's like if you double him, he has court vision enough to where he can find someone that you didn't even know was open, and now they're knocking down a wide open three. Like he has really good court vision. Um, I, I will also say not – no, no, you know what? I take that back. Never mind. Um, just forget <laughs> I was going with that. Um, but, no, it, it's, I, I like that they were, you know, that they were nervous enough. Because I always tell people, and, Nick, I've told you this before, sometimes you just have to – you have to take – you have to take the risk. Um, and I told you that was the biggest thing when uh, Mello forced his way to New York. If you're the Knicks, the last thing you want is for Melo to go to L, you know, to have a sit down with with LA and Kobe, have a sit down with the Bulls and Derrick Rose. Like you just don't want to give him an opportunity to possibly like it somewhere else. Right. Um, so if you can lock him up, lock him up. I mean, if you think about it, that's kind of if they could, you know, you know, I'm not too particular about that. If they could have, the Pelicans should have did that with Boogie. Like, don't give him a chance to survey what else is out there. Uh, yeah. Because once he does, it's like, all right, wait, I can go to Golden State. All right, yeah, I'm gonna go there. I don't want, I won't want your two year deal. I'll go there. So it's sometimes it's not always about the money. It's not always about, um, you know, them being loyal. Sometimes once they get a whiff of something better, they're gonna go. So if you can lock right. him up to ensure that he's there, your centerpiece is there. Do it. Do not risk it whatsoever. Because not every player yeah, and- is that loyal. Right, and and I think you have to play each player in a in a certain light. Like you have to play, you have to play it by ear with each player because you know we essentially forget that these guys are people and they have different personalities. And <laughs> right, 
you know, like, I mean, DeMarcus Cousins is, does not strike me as a guy who is ultimately concerned with making as much money as he can possibly make so he can be some kind of mogul once he gets outside of the NBA. He's already made really good money. He's set for life. He's not – I just don't see him as a LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade type of player who is always – well, and I, honestly, I shouldn't throw Dwayne Wade into that category. He was never the highest-paid player on the Heat, so never he's never been. So that's that's maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself with that one. But nevertheless, my point is that you know this is a guy that uses a lot of his money to invest back into the community, especially in Sacramento. He's he's done mm-hmm. a lot of stuff in Sacramento that you know kind of flies under the radar because he doesn't flaunt it. So he's got enough money. I don't think he's ultimately concerned with money. So the fact that he turned down a two-year, $40 million deal, and we don't know the particulars of that deal. It could have it probably dictated a team option for that $20 million, which, you know, if you're DeMarcus Cousins, I, don't, I wouldn't really like that deal either. Like, what if I come back and I'm just as good as I was, and then you – are like, all right, yeah, we're going to take that $20 million team option. And it's like, hold on. (laughs) Come on, I came back and And, I played well for you. So go ahead. And I assume assume it was somewhat like Embiid's deal to where there are restrictions, uh, Mm. you know, uh, for injury. So if I'm a boogie, it's kind of like, you know what, I'd rather go to a Golden State team where I can actually fully showcase my ability. Because one thing people keep forgetting, because everyone keeps going, well, you know, you have too many people that need the ball in their hand. Actually, your entire starting five in Golden State does not need the ball in their hand. They're really good off-the-ball players because they pass it so right. often, and they're so unselfish. So if you're yeah. Boogie, it's like, you know what? I'm betting on me. I'm going to go here to Golden State, showcase that I can still be a dominant player, and then Winner the game should open up for me. Uh, it should right. open up for me enough to where I can get something long-term and make some place my permanent home. Um, so, I mean, I love guys that are like, you know what? I'll bet on me. I- I'm not just going to take the scraps yeah. that you give me. I want to bet on myself, and I respect that. Yeah, I ultimately do as well. And if that w- had been a team option on that second year, which, you know, we don't know, but I'm just I'm just guessing. I think the $40 million that he would make over those two years versus the five that he makes this year, let's say he makes the five this year, uh, 5.3, and then, you know, wows everybody, and then somebody comes in and says, okay, we're going to offer you a four-year max deal at what it would, I think it would be 30% of $108 million, so that would be like $32.4, million, over, like, as his, as his starting pay, and that would increase over, you know, uh, 5% over the next uh, three years, that's you know that's that's a play that you know is not really in the, in the long run costing you that much money because you're making twelve point four million dollars more than you would have on that second year. So, I you know I can see I can see where he's coming from as far as this deal. Plus, he, this gives him by far the best opportunity to win a ring. He's absolutely ring chasing. I don't I don't 
have any absolutely <laughs> I don't have any doubt about that, but nevertheless, uh I, I, I understand it. But um but let's not get too bogged down in cousins. We need to uh finish up discussing what uh Denver is doing. So they also like like I said, brought back Barton to a four year fifty four million dollar deal. From the reports that I've read, they are probably going to make him their starting small forward. Of course, he was a, a candidate for sixth man of the year last year. He played a lot of three for them. He's he's kind of an undersized three, but he's a guy like, say, like Kent Bazemore, who mm-hmm. has the ability to play both the two and the three. Defensive-minded three and D player, kind of what they need, and the fact that they were – you know, able to hang on to him, I think is huge for that team. What did you think about them bringing back Will Barton, and how do you think he'll fit being kind of hoisted into that starting role? Um, Will Barton came off the bench last year, right? Right. He was like a six-man-of-the-year candidate. Wilson right. Chandler usually started for them. Right. Um, but I but think... here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Will Barton mm-hmm. was their finisher. So Will Barton played in the closing minutes of of pretty right. much all of their games. So he didn't start; well, he was he was the finisher. Will Barton reminds me of when we had Jr. as our sixth man, and then what we had to do, unfortunately, was at some point put him into the starting lineup. Um, sometimes that that works, uh, and your bench doesn't uh, get affected, and then sometimes it it, it works the opposite way. Uh, because you then don't have that guy that is your spark plug off the bench, and right. you sometimes need it. And now, if you're telling Barton, like, hey, like before you were coming off the bench, we were kind of, you know, finding good moments for you, and then you were finishing the game. Well, now you have to start and finish the game. Um, right. And, that and sometimes somebody be- else has to fill that vacuum of coming off the bench and getting buckets. Right. Right. So if I'm Barton, what I'm what I tell them is like, all right, well, if you want to put me in the starting lineup, of course that's fine. I'm not gonna turn that down. Um, but if I'm Barton, I'm figuring out ways right now in the off season to keep myself fresh because what they're gonna he's gonna play a lot of minutes now. Um, mm-hmm. Well, the money they just paid him that showed that he's gonna play play a lot of minutes. Uh, yeah. So you got to make sure that you're not tiring yourself out between the first. And the fourth, because like I said, now you have to start and finish games. Um, So it's not just I'm coming off the bench a little here, a little there, and then just finishing the the fourth. You kind of now have to do everything. Um, And a spotlight. And you're going against starting uh, units instead of backup units for the whole game. And and the, the, the spotlight's on you now. The money you're making and the fact that you're now a starter and the fact that you played so well last year, eyes are going to be on expectations are going to be on you. Um, so it's a lot that, that becoming uh, a starter after getting a huge contract and uh, being a six-man candidate last year. So as long as he can kind of own all that and, and still be a great player, uh, it's, a, it's a really good move by Denver because uh, he was definitely – he was no slouch last year. He was a right. really good piece to that puzzle uh, that they had going on in Denver. And I think it was something that they needed to hold on to. Um, so it's just going to be interesting to see uh, how he uh, addresses the season, knowing now that all these expectations are on him. He's a starter now. Uh, it's going to be fun to see how he uh, approaches the season. So I can't wait to see that first Nuggets game to see how he uh, he approaches the game as a starter now. 
Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting, too, because, you know, those are just reports. I mean, we don't know that he's going to be a starter. I think that's the presumption. But I know there were plenty of times last season where um, Mike Malone, I believe is their coach, elected to start Hernan Gomez at three so he could keep Barton in that kind of same role. I think that's something they should consider. So that way you don't have to pull Barton out of it, and he can still be that spark plug off the bench. He can still finish out games for you. And then you can develop Hernan Gomez more as a starter and not have so much pressure on him as, say, the six-man archetype that maybe he isn't. Maybe he fits better. It takes a lot to be a six-man. You have to be better than the fifth player on the starting five. I mean, we all know that. I mean, you look at a guy like Lou Williams, who is the quintessential six-man, or Jamal Crawford. They have always been better than the fifth player in the in the starting five. The reason that they are six-man is because they can dominate so much scoring. And Barton kind of fits that. He can He can get you buckets. And it'll be interesting to see if maybe, even if he ends up being the starter to start the season – if maybe Hernan Gomez slides into that role so they can kind of fit Barton where maybe he's most comfortable. And then also there's the wild card of Michael Porter Jr. Like, how is he going to fit? Would you prefer to maybe use him as a sixth man? Is he going to be able to play big minutes or are you going to try and shield him? A lot of mystery still surrounding his back and his, his injury status. So, That'll be something very interesting to follow as well. Uh, Wilson Chandler traded. This is purely a, a cap cap space move. They only had to give up a second round pick. Philadelphia uh, ended up, you know, they didn't, they weren't able to get LeBron, and that was pretty much their guy who they were, you know, coveting. Obviously, Paul George resigns with OKC, so they weren't able to get him. So you know, they're like, well, instead of signing a, you know. Uh, a free agent. We'll just trade. We'll we'll take we'll take uh, Wilson Chandler's twelve point eight million dollar contract. That's you know fine with us, and or it, may, it might be thirteen point eight, but somewhere in that range. We'll take that contract. I think no, it's twelve point eight. We'll take that contract and we'll take a second round pick for that. I think this makes sense for for both teams. Uh, you need to get off a salary if you're Denver. Wilson Chandler is. A very good player. I mean, he was in your starting lineup, but I, he, reports had come out several different times throughout the last two seasons that he wasn't happy there. And you never really want to keep a player around who's not happy. You only had to give up a second-round pick to move him. You clear $12.8 million in salary, which if you're in the luxury tax is way more than just $12.8 million in salary as far as what you're paying as a franchise. I like the move. I think Wilson Chandler will help out Philadelphia, but more importantly for Denver, it clears the necessary cap, and Wilson Chandler is not a player that you see as part of your future. So it made a lot of sense to me. What did you think about the deal? I loved it. Uh, I needed Wilson Chandler. Uh, He was the last piece of that that next trade uh, that was still there because Gallinari had been left. Um, right. And Wilson was like the last piece that was still there. So I'm glad he's going to a team 
that we know is going to dominate the East. Maybe not win the entire East, but it's definitely mm-hmm. going to dominate it. Um, yeah. He's going to be a contributing factor to that. I mean, uh, he has good length. Uh, he's a pretty good defender, and he can he can shoot the ball. So, I mean, you can now kind of space it out a little better. And if, God, if Ben Simmons can develop somewhat of a jumper, uh, <laughs> that makes that team even more dangerous uh, as, as far as having to stretch like one through five um, mm. and you having to get out on everybody. Uh, and I'm not saying Ben Simmons has to hit threes, but if he could develop just a, a, a jumper, like a mid-range jumper, uh, that, guy, that team's going to be like super dangerous. Um, but no, I mean, it's a really good move and I'm glad Wilson's back East. Um, I think it's a really good fit for both Denver. Like you said, if he wasn't happy there, I'm glad he got out of the situation. Um, because it was one of those things where it was just like, it lasted too long. It lasted too long. He should have been gone to be completely honest with you. You should have been left. Uh, they should have found some way to get that guy out of there. Uh, not saying like he was a problem or anything, but it was just like, it, it lasted too long. Like, if you're Wilson yeah. Chandler, you were well, there. Well, they could have gotten more value uh, for him if they had traded him two years ago. Before. Right. Yeah. And or at the very least, they Wilson, wouldn't have to be giving attaching a second-round pick to move him, you know? Right. And if you're Wilson Chandler, you technically were there for two rebuilds. Um, so it's like, right. listen, I've been, like, super patient with you guys. I've never been, like, you never heard of him causing any trouble in the locker room or anything. So it's just like, he, they should have found a way to get out of this a lot sooner. He deserves better. Um, but I'm glad he's he's back east and he's on a team like the Sixers. Uh, I think Wilson Chandler is definitely going to make some noise uh, on that team. My only thing is if they sign Wilson, who is usually he's a he's a small forward, but sometimes he floats between uh, he can float between a, a two and a three. Um, I wouldn't oh, float him four. between a three and a four. He played I, a lot I, of I four know. last year for Denver. Was that good though? Because I didn't watch that many Denver games. Was 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 that was that a he good was more, that they, The that team they was more with effective it? with him playing the four than they were with him playing the three. Hmm, fair enough. So then maybe maybe that. But he can definitely play three positions. Is is, is uh right. ultimately what I was trying to get to. Um, yes. So I mean that that's definitely good for them to to tool around with that and move him around and see where it works best for them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. I mean, I think. As far as him joining the Sixers, it gives them kind of added depth that they need. He's an expiring contract, so you're still keeping your cap space open for next year, which is obviously something that Philadelphia wants to do. And, yeah, I mean, he's he's very versatile. Like you said, uh, a plus defender, a good shooter, uh, a quality veteran. I think with a change of scenery, it could really help him out. I think he will be – a guy who you can move in a lot of different positions. He can, like you said, can play two through four. I think he's best suited at three or the four. But, like, I think, too, one of the other things is by acquiring a guy like this, it gives you one of two things. It gives you the ability now to, if you want to make a trade, whether that's for Kawhi Leonard or or whoever, Wilson Chandler, as an expiring contract, is something is somebody who could plug and play and you could attach picks to in order to sweeten any kind of deal that you needed to do. But furthermore, he's also a guy that, say, if you made a Kawhi deal and you had to give up, say, both Covington and you had to give up Sarich, 
in this package, he could be your starting four. And that would not be a problem for Wilson Chandler. So, like, say you landed Kawhi Leonard and you didn't have somebody to play the four, you could have him play the four and then play Bielitsa behind him. So I think it gives Philadelphia a lot of flexibility as far as their moves. You know, we talked the other day, Luke and I both been super impressed with Brett Brown. Like, a lot of times you put a coach into that GM situation and he's just – it just doesn't work. And, but for the majority of the moves that the Sixers have made, I have been very impressed. And I think, too, the, honestly, the big thing as far as, and we're about to jump into this, why they did not want to bring back Bellinelli or Ilyasova was they didn't want to sign multi-year deals with them. And I get that because they still have a lot of cap space going into next season. Granted, they will have to relinquish the rights to T.J. McConnell. Uh, well, they wouldn't have to relinquish the rights, but they would they would um, essentially run the risk of losing both T.J. McConnell and, and Rashawn Holmes uh, to other teams who might be trying to poach them if they weren't able to get the big free agent signing before, you know, somebody else came along and offered those guys a contract. But in the grand scheme of things, those are role players, and, and you can always replace role players. So, but let's jump into uh, Bellinelli. Uh, he agreed to a, or excuse me, let's jump into Ilyasova first. Uh, Ursan Ilyasova agreed to a three-year, $21 million with Milwaukee, $21 million deal with Milwaukee. I understand where why Milwaukee would want to do this. I think they looked at the Jabari Parker situation and said, we don't want to, overpay this guy he's had two serious ACL tears and he wants a lot of money and so we'll sign Ilyasova and just kind of as insurance and then if he ends up signing a big deal somewhere else we're not going to match it if he doesn't we'll we'll issue him his qualifying offer and keep him on the team or sign him to you know, a smaller deal and keep him on the team. So I understand it. I still think $7 million a year for Ursan Ilyasova, given given their cap situation and other various things, I think it's a little bit much, not crazy much, but just a little bit much. But from what <laughs> I heard, Ursan's family still is very much based out of Milwaukee. So I think he had a big interest and returning to Milwaukee so he can, you know, be closer to his family where, you know, they pretty much, from what I've read or heard, that that's where they live. So I think it was a good situation for him. I understand why the Bucks did it. He's a versatile guy. He can play three through five. It, like last season, you know, they ran that, uh, what did they call it? Uh, I mean, I forget what they called it. That the Philadelphia, when he would play the five, they called it their uh, – United Nations lineup, and he would uh, he would play the five, and, and he was relatively effective as a small ball five because he can rebound, and he's a, he's a versatile defender. So I think that's a, an interesting play for them. I'm interested to see how he will play next to Antetokounmpo, and I think it'll be interesting to see how he kind of ingratiates himself into that mix of players I also think it bodes well for him that 
Coach Bud has taken over the Milwaukee job and Coach Bud has coached him before. I think that probably had a big influence on him deciding to go to Milwaukee. I think he and Budenholzer developed a pretty good relationship, and I think that probably had a lot to do – Budenholzer's influence probably had a lot to do with why they would want to bring in a guy like Ilyasova. But, uh, Juwan, what were your thoughts on the Bucks signing him to a $21 million three-year deal? See, when you say $21 million deal for Ilyasova, I want to say that I don't think you needed to pay him that much. But then I remember, and again, I I feel like our team, you can attribute just like all horrible things. Remember when we signed Bargnani to that ridiculous deal that just completely tied us up cap-wise? Like, nothing will ever be as horrible as that. (laughs) Hey, man, Alan Houston. That is true. That is true. I don't know, though, because it was like like you signed Bargnani to that long-term deal, but it was like he didn't show you any greatness beforehand. So it was like, why did you think Bargnani was worth all that? Right, at least Alan Houston was a good player. You just you yeah. just way overpaid a player who you could have gotten for le- like no one was offering that amount of money, but yeah, with Bargnani no it was like right, but with yeah with Bargnani it was that plus he never showed you shit to begin with. <laughs> right, so I completely didn't understand that. Um, but no, to get back to the topic at hand, uh, I have no issue with it. Uh, Ilya Silva, like you said, could play three through five. Um, again, this same situation I had with Philly, even though it's slightly different because Giannis does have a jump shot. Giannis can expand his range. You then make that starting five uh, a lot more dangerous. Because like I said, the league is trying to form itself into these hybrid bigs that can go down low, but can also point line and, and knock down the shot. So if Giannis could ever get versatile as far as like his, the way he scores rather than just driving to the basket, um, that, like I said, that starting five can, can definitely be something that uh, you have to watch out for. But, um, I mean, he's, he's a good shooter. That's about it. Um, I don't know what else I would say for Ilias Ova. Um, he's just really good at knocking down the, the shot. Uh, he's a good – he's an okay mid-range, but he's, he's a pretty good three-point shooter. So, I mean, it doesn't hurt them. Uh, it, it's just a matter of you overpaid the guy. Outside of that, it's not a bad move at all. Yeah, see, I, I agree. I mean, I think he's more versatile than you're giving him credit for. Like I said, he's a pretty good defender, um, and he's a pretty solid rebounder. I mean, he had games when he played for the Hawks where, you know, you would look at the stat line, and it's like Ilyasova had 16 rebounds, and you're like, damn, son, like, go get it. Um, so he, he does have that. I'm not saying that's a, a thing to, like, look forward to. He doesn't normally do that, but he did have games where he would do that. He's he's I honestly he's just he's kind of like a Wilson Chandler. He's just versatile. He, you can plug and play him in a lot of different situations and that's kind of what Milwaukee needs. They need a guy like that who can play multiple positions, can shoot the ball, is, you know, at least an average defender, a plus rebounder. I mean, he fits what they need and like I said that the ties I think with with coach Bud make a lot of sense to me as to why they did this. I ultimately agree, though. I think not so much the $7 million a year, but the fact that, I mean, the guy made $6 million on a one-year deal last year. 
you're telling me you couldn't have talked him into seven over two years with maybe even a team option? Like, that's the thing that I think is the most interesting. Obviously, there might be a team option on that third year. We don't know all the particulars of all these deals yet. So that'll be interesting to see. But ultimately, I think he will definitely help that team. I mean, he definitely made an impact on the Hawks, and he definitely helped the Sixers So, uh, in the playoffs. So, you know, good, good solid play. Uh, moving on, Marco Bellinelli agreed to a two-year $12 million deal and Rudy Gay agreed to a one-year $10 million deal with the San Antonio Spurs. We'll talk Bellinelli first. Again, uh, so, so basically the, the Sixers lost both of the, the kind of key free agents that they brought in uh, in the playoffs last season, uh, or pre-playoffs, but, but you know, they were big parts of their playoff run last year. I, and again, I think it just it really boils down to they didn't want to pay long-term deals. They wanted these one-year deals again to, you know, keep their money open for next offseason if, if, you know, something presents itself. But regardless, Bellinelli, two years, $12 million deal, I'm cool with that. I mean, I think think ultimately had the Sixers been able to secure a guy, uh, like a big free agent guy, they would have offered Bellinelli and Ilyasova deals at least close to, you know, these numbers. And, you know, I, I, I really like Bellinelli. The only thing is, obviously, he's got a history with the Spurs. He, he likes Greg Popovich. My biggest thing is how, how where and how do you play him? Because you still have Ginobili, who's very similar in, as far as, you know, the way Marco Bellinelli plays. You just drafted Lonnie Walker. I'm not exactly sure – that you needed him, but he's a good guy to have. And if you're the Spurs, you're pretty much an older team at this point. You may be looking at losing Kawhi Leonard. In fact, I would say it's probable at this point. So bringing in a guy like Bellinelli for $6 million a year over two years, not not a bad move. I think it's good. He's obviously he, – he's, I think, an underrated ball handler, at least – from my perspective, because I never really followed him until he came and played for the Hawks. And he played some point guard at times for the bench unit for the Hawks and, and did it very well. Good ball handler, good passer, obviously a good shooter. He's best suited playing off ball. But he's got a lot of versatility that the Spurs can utilize. And like I said, they, again, I think history has a lot to do with these signings. Ilyasova signing with Milwaukee because of Coach Bud, Bellinelli signing with the Spurs because of Coach Pop. I think those connections go a long way. But this deal, uh, like I said, I'm much higher on Bellinelli for six million dollars over two, uh, six million dollars per year over two years than Ilyasova of seven per year over three. It just makes a little more sense to me, and they're and they're right around the same age. I think Bellinelli's maybe a year or two older, but I I, I like it. I think ultimately, if you know, if uh, they lose Kawhi Leonard, I think Bellinelli could end up filling some of what he did, a very minimal amount, but some of what you know Kawhi brought to the table as far as veteran leadership. Uh, well. He, he's probably even more of that than Kawhi. But as far as, you know, leadership on the court 
and as far as ability to create baskets and create shots and all of that, both with him being able to shoot, his ability to move off ball around screens, and his, his ability to pass. Like I said, I think he's an underrated passer and ball handler. So I ultimately like it. It, it just depends on what kind of deal is constructed for Kawhi and what they get back. But it's a, it's a good move as far as hedging your bets as far as this whole Kawhi Leonard saga. How do you see Bellinelli? with the Spurs. It's not a bad move. <laughs> Anytime you add in veteran shooting like that, it's it's not a bad move whatsoever. Right. Uh, like you said, he is a pretty good uh, ball handler, uh, so they can use that also. Uh, it's just one of those things where it's just like he's pretty much coming home to pop, um, and Spurs are trying to build something that's still competitive because you got a guy in LaMarcus Aldridge who if he starts to see a rebuild coming, he's going to say trade me. Like trade me immediately. I'm I'm, I'm not dealing with that. Um, so it looks like Pop is trying to still keep things competitive, surround him with something that he can still go out there every week and compete with. Uh, I mean, I, I think last year was one of Pop's finest uh, coaching jobs, one of his best coaching jobs. I think between him and Doc Rivers, uh, dealing with what they were dealing with uh, and still being able to, you know, Doc being somewhat competitive and Pop getting that team to the playoffs uh, was definitely um, – something that uh, people should have given them a lot of credit for. No Kawhi outside of, like, four or five games, and you're able to take that team to the uh, – I'm not saying that the team was bad by, by any means, but no one would have thought that the Spurs had a good chance to finish as high as they did without Kawhi um, and then be somewhat competitive. Um, so it's definitely a, a fine coaching job by Pop, but that's what we expect always from Pop. Um, but as far as Bellinelli, it's, it's a good move. Like I said, it's a real, it's a great three point shooter that you're adding, uh, to your depth. And it, it, there's no, like, there's no bad, you know what I'm saying? Like thoughts or anything towards, towards signing Bellinelli because it can't hurt at all. It can't hurt at all. Right. Yeah. That's kind of my thoughts too. All right. Rudy Gay, one year, $10 million deal. He opted out. And I think it was just to get a little bit more money, which he did. I think his, his opt-in was about 8.5, as I recall, 8.3, somewhere in that in that ballpark. Um, so him opting out to get, you know, a couple more million dollars makes sense. I think it was really smart for the Spurs to bring him back. He really started playing well down the stretch of the season for the Spurs. There were, you know, several games where he – uh, made a very high impact on the game coming down the stretch, both with his playmaking ability, his ability to create his own shot, and his rebounding. The guy, you know, had really kind of made an effort to to step up his his ability to get defensive and offensive rebounds. I think it's smart. You want to keep that kind of veteran uh, around. I think he made a good impact on the team last year. He seemed to be kind of buy into pop system, be a quality role player for them. And he's got versatility. He can play the three. He can play the four. So you can start him at the three if you want. You can use him as a backup three, backup four for Aldridge. It, you know, you can plug him in at four and, and play Aldridge at the five if you want to go small. Again, just providing you with versatility, and it's only a one-year deal. So you're not tying yourself up long-term. I really like this deal. I think it was a very, very smart play by the Spurs. And I honestly, 
I'm not totally surprised that he ended up staying because I do think Rudy Gay really wants to win a ring, which is why he went to the Spurs. That's why he turned down a 13 million ish option with the Kings in order to take a lesser deal to go join the Spurs. But I think the fact that the market is so small essentially dictated that he was better off staying there on a one-year $10 million deal, and the Spurs are that much better for it. Your thoughts on Gay staying with the Spurs? Uh, like you said, it made sense. I do not think the market was high on on Rudy Gay. Like I don't think Rudy Gay was going to get this ridiculous deal. Um in anywhere else. Uh, so I think he just agreed to stay, stay put, uh, try to, you know, uh, make a push for them to hopefully get into the champion, uh, you know, to the, the finals this year. They won't. But, um, uh, you know, he, he, you know, it's a safe bet because, listen, if Kawhi doesn't get traded, you can get, like, all I'm saying is I'm not – I don't have any illusions that Kawhi is going to stay in San Antonio. But if you can get Kawhi, like, tell him, listen – Buy in, just finish the year out, um, and then you can go wherever you want. I know that that's not practical because you don't want to lose them for nothing. But if you can right. get them to at least just buy in to compete this year, um, I thought the Spurs had a really good chance to knock Golden State off last year. They definitely don't this year. Um, but they have a chance. You mean the year to before? Like super. No, no, no. If Kawhi had come back and played last this past season. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, well, I thought you were talking about because I think they had a reasonable shot, you know, before he went down with that um, oh, ankle injury yeah. because of because of Pachulia. So, yeah, only reason I didn't too. bring that yeah. year up is because he he actually got injured and then was out this year. Yeah. From what numerous people kept saying was he should have came back and played. Like they they don't know why he didn't. Um, mm-hmm. So him being healthy is why I thought uh, if he had came back at any point before the playoffs. They could make this huge push and possibly get past the um, the the Warriors. Because I tell you what, I like that team more than I liked Houston. Uh, I I really did. Kawhi, his ability to defend and be someone that could neutralize uh, Durant, and then that team they are very smart when it comes to team defense in regards to playing Golden State. Uh, so I really thought they could have done it uh, last year, uh, this past season. I'm sorry uh, if Kawhi had come back. But um, as far as Rudy Gay, I Rudy Gay is one of those guys, Nick. I was high on him, uh, and I was a huge Grizzlies fan when it was Conley, OJ Mayo, Rudy, Zach, and Gasol. I still to this day have no idea how that team didn't have more success than than it did. Uh, you just had so much talent on just that starting five. Like that starting five was so talented. OJ Mayo, I believe, coming out of. Um, where did he come USC. from? Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, Trojans, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, he had so he was he was really good in college, and I thought he was, was going to come in. in I thought I thought him and Rudy Gay coming together, uh, those two guys were going to take the league by storm. I thought that that pairing was going to be what Durant and Harden turned out to be, not in their careers, just in their time in, in OKC. Uh, that's yeah. how much talent I thought those two had. And I still to this day am disappointed on, uh, in the career that Rudy Gay has had and O.J. Mayo. Um, so I'm glad Particularly O.J. Mayo. He, particularly O.J. Mayo. 
Um, but I am proud that Rudy Gay is in a in a position to where he can be competitive and uh, somewhat make a difference on, on a team uh, and help them, you know, ultimately get to the playoffs and try to make some noise there. So it's a really good signing for the Spurs, and it's them pretty much saying, listen, we know Kawhi is not going to stay, so this is definitely a guy we'd like to keep around uh, that can score, defend, um, and is just somebody that is a veteran leadership that you don't want to get rid of. So, Yeah, absolutely. I agree. All right. Moving on, J.J. Redick agreed to a one-year deal worth between 12 to $13 million. Uh, Nemanja Bielica, uh, is, I believe how you pronounce it, agreed to a one-year $4.4 million deal. And Amir Johnson has agreed to a one-year deal of undisclosed amount, probably veteran minimum, which would be, I believe, $2.4 million. Uh, so all of those deals have gone through for Philadelphia, along with you know, trading for Wilson Chandler. It looks like, again, they're signing all these one-year deals. They traded for, for Chandler, who's on a one-year deal. They're trying to hedge their bets and, and keep their options open for next year while still being competitive this year. I like most of what they're doing here. Uh, J.J. Reddick was a very good player for them last year. They kind of continue to give him a little bit more than probably what he would get on a long-term deal, which I think maybe bodes well for them in the future. If they sign somebody big, they can get him to commit to uh, you know, a, a lesser deal. Plus, once you hit the three-year mark, you, the team gets your bird right. So this is his second year. They could, you know, if they knock it out of the park with a free agent next year, they could kind of give him the old hint, hint, wink, wink, re-sign for a vet minimum, and then we'll get your bird rights, and then we'll, uh, you know, kind of pay you accordingly uh, the following season. So I think these moves were really good for Philadelphia, considering they weren't able to, to land anybody big in free agency, and... I think Bielitsa played pretty well in the minutes that he had last season. He he's got the ability to stretch the floor. He's definitely kind of fits the bill of an Ursan Ilyasova type. I think he's a little more restricted in his positional versatility, but as far as strictly a stretch four, he fits that sort of mold. And then Amir Johnson, I honestly think it's just a move. He's a character guy. He's a he's a culture guy. I, I think they really like what he brings to the table in that respect. And I get that. You know, you want those kind of guys in your locker room, especially when you have a young team. Um, so I, I, I get them signing him. I didn't like them giving him minutes in the playoffs last season. I thought he was sort of a detriment to them as far as he's just slow. He he cannot move uh, with with other guys, you know, uh, defensively anymore. So, but, you know, if it's a, if it, if it's a vet minimum for, as far as for, you know, culture sake, I mean, hell, we saw what Cleveland did. They brought in Kendrick Perkins just to have him there in the locker room. He never even played. So those kinds of things can be important. And that part of it makes sense to me. Um, I, don't have to dig too much into Bielitsa and Amir Johnson. I just wanted to bring those up because we're talking about Philadelphia. But uh, what do you think about Reddick signing to a one-year deal worth about 12 to $13 million uh, to stay with the Philadelphia 76ers? 
I think Reddick knows exactly what we know, and that's that Philly is going to be very, very dangerous next year. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. Um, None of us think what happened in the playoffs will happen again. Uh, I think it'll be a game seven uh, against Boston in the conference finals. Um, And then it's honestly a toss up. I mean, you know how much I love Kyrie, how much I love this, this young Boston team. But I mean, at some point, you kind of have to think that Joel Embiid is going to, he's going to have his Shaq moment that he has like 43 and 13 or something like that. And he just dominates. I mean, as, as great of a coach as Brad Stevens is, it's just like, when you have a guy as talented as Embiid, if he can stay healthy, I kind of don't like the idea of betting against that. So if I'm Redick, I'm looking and I'm like, LeBron left the East. This Philly team can definitely go to the finals. I'd rather yeah. stay with this young Philly team and just attach, you know, attach myself to their to their wagon and keep rolling. Um, so it makes perfect sense. Uh, Belika or Be- whatever his name is, uh, he came from the Pelicans, I believe, right? No, he came from Minnesota. Bielita. He didn't play on the Pelicans last year. Nope. What is? It? I thought there was a really tall guy that played on the you're Pelicans last Om- year with the You're thinking name. of Omri Caspi. He played on them like a couple no. years ago, similar player. No, I thought it was Belinka. Okay. Well, anyway. Um, uh, n- yeah, n- Nikola Mirotic. No, it, it was this really, really, really tall guy who all he could do is just pretty much rebound. That was it. And I thought Oh, it was, you're thinking uh, of Alex- Alexia Gentia. There you go. Thank you. That's what I was thinking about. Yeah, okay. no, this uh, totally different guy. This guy's a stretch okay. four from, from Minnesota. All right, perfect. Well, you know, I'm the same guy that gets Nurkic and Jokic mixed up all the time anyway. <laughs> hey, but you just you got their names right, finally, in tandem. I did, finally. Awesome. I did. Um, I don't know if I can tell you no. who plays for what yeah, team. You're, but you're, yeah. You usually say Nurkic, and you, what was it? You, instead of Jokic, you say Nurkic, and instead of Nurkic, you say Jokic. That's usually how yeah, you do I, it. Yeah, listen. Listen, those <laughs> names are too confusing. They needed to get something a lot more simple for me. Um, but no, well, I, I like and, and it doesn't like help that they were on the same team for so long, so it, like, further, you know, connects them. <laughs> that did not help. That did not help whatsoever. Um, yeah. But, no, I like this move for Reddick. He was definitely a big piece uh, to what they were doing last year, and he's going to continue to be that veteran presence. I agree with what you were saying about Amir Johnson. I always thought it was dumb for Philly to uh, – well, I thought it was dumb for the Knicks to let him go. But I, I thought it was weird that Philly didn't try to make a move for Kyle O'Quinn. I thought Kyle O'Quinn could have been huge for that team. Uh, oh, yeah. He's just so ferocious uh, on, on those offensive and defensive boards. And he plays good defense. So I thought they could have yeah. definitely used a guy like that. Uh, and to let him go to, to Indiana, that is coming. Uh, Nick, by the way, was, was ahead of the, the, the pack with that one. Uh, but they're coming. Oh, thank you. So letting them get any of any of these small pieces that could turn into something big is, is not the smartest move. I thought Philly should have definitely pulled the trigger on at least sitting Kyle O'Quinn down and trying to work out the numbers. All I would have told Kyle O'Quinn is, listen, sign a one-year deal with us, uh, help us get to the showcase your, you know, how, how good you are, and then you can go somewhere and someone will be dumb enough to give you like a three-year three decent amount of money. Like the Nets, I'm pretty sure, would jump all over that. I hope your actual, like, wordage would not have been, someone will be dumb enough to pay you more than you deserve, <laughs> Kyle O'Quinn. 
Well, Great. Listen, yeah, I, I don't did, think I don't I, think you're 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 gonna be our pitch man if we're ever you know doing something for Geek Vibes anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I would go to a studio and go, listen, you want to be dumb enough not to sign us? Are you idiot? No, but um. I, I think they could have made a really good uh, pitch to Kyle O'Quinn to had him, you know, fit his number uh, in their cap and just sign a one-year deal. And, and again, Kyle O'Quinn on the Sixers, that would have been huge for them. I'm not saying, like, he's this Durant piece, but getting Kyle O'Quinn coming off the bench, that would have been a really good move for Philly uh, that now Indiana will take advantage of, so... Yeah, no, ultimately, I agree with you in that sense. I mean, he would have been better than Amir Johnson, um, at least yeah. in, in, in theory. Like, I mean, Amir Johnson just didn't bring much at all. But, I mean, like like we both said, I, it, it it strikes both of us as more of a, you know, a, a, of a, a, you know, a, a locker room guy type signing so in that in that respect it makes sense I still really like Rashawn Holmes man I think Rashawn Holmes needs to get more minutes he played really really well not last year but the year before when Embiid only played 31 games they plugged in Holmes and had him play pretty big minutes and he played really well I'd like to see him get more minutes this year maybe that's what they're planning as far as keeping Amir Johnson in as the as the locker room guy is kind of your third center but then having Rashawn Holmes step up and, and play a bigger role. I, I would have liked to have seen them having having played him more in the playoffs last season in lieu Amir Johnson. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh, let's move on. Trevor Ariza surprises probably everybody. Not the fact that he, he elected to take the, the big one-year deal, but the fact that he elected to go to the Phoenix Suns, who already have a lot of depth right there at the three and even you know I mean I guess he can play a little bit of four he did last year but I thought I thought PJ Tucker was more of their their guy who could body up and play the four they usually still kept Ariza at the three but he signs a 15 million dollar one-year deal with Phoenix I don't like it man I don't like it at all I don't know what Phoenix is thinking I mean, you already have Josh Jackson who who started to really come on at the end of last season and develop. You have T.J. Warren, who is a solid player. You have Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris at the four. So I, I don't know how – I just don't see the fit for Ariza here unless maybe you're thinking of they know something we don't know and there's going to be some moves made, maybe Alonzo Ball trade. Uh, who knows, but – I'm I'm very skeptical of this deal. I think if you were going to spend $15 million on him, then why not go out and say, Rajon Rondo, we'll give you $15 million because we really need a point guard. Like, I, I just don't – I don't get it at all. But, Jawan, do you echo my sentiments or do you see a silver lining to this signing? I, I see like a silver that, lining. That and I, 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 <laughs> I will say to your Rondo point, I don't know if I want Rondo with my youth. Uh, so that that's a big reason why I would have passed up on I mean, Rondo. Just the, Lakers, the Lakers didn't agree with you. <laughs> well, no. The reason why the Lakers signed off on it is because you have two head coaches. One that uh, is being paid to be called the head coach, and then LeBron. <laughs> so LeBron's going to make hey, sure Hey, don't dog my boy Luke Walton like that, man. No, 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 no. I'm not dogging Luke Walton. Anywhere LeBron went outside of Brad Stevens and Popovich, 
I would have said you have two head coaches. So that's not dog. I don't know about that. It's just like that LeBron sometimes takes over the coach. I'll reserve. No, I'm going to reserve my thoughts on that until later. I think the fact that LeBron signed, you know, essentially a three-year deal with a a fourth-year player option, I I think that was essentially him saying, I'm tired of trying to manage – manage a team because I did it in Cleveland and it drove me fucking crazy. Like, I just want to be in LA. So I'm going to come to LA and you know what? Y'all just, y'all go ahead and make the decisions and I'll, whatever y'all decide, like I'll, I'll make, try my best to make it work. Um, but See, that, I like, would, we don't know. That's speculation. Yours is as well. And it'll be easier for us to tell as time moves on and we start to see, you know, kind of what's going on in that respect. I mean, you also had the situation to where <laughs> they said neither one of those two have talked yet. Like, neither one of them have, have spoken to each other yet. So right. that also is just like, eh, okay, all right. But anyway, back to Trevor Reza. I do see the silver lining. Um, I don't think you're going to get Phoenix being as stupidly run as they have been since pretty much Steve Kerr left. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't think they're, they're that idiotic. I think Ariza was brought in for a veteran presence. He is someone that can help them on the one area they desperately need, and that's defense. Um, but Josh Ariza Jackson does still... the same thing. You just drafted Mikhail Bridges, who does the right. same thing. Right. What I'm saying is Josh Jackson, you can probably assume, is probably going to be incorporated in some trade package. Uh, Mikel Bridges is going to be the guy that you have learning from Trevor Ariza. So I still want Trevor Ariza there to teach up these, uh, you know, uh, Mikel Bridges. Um, I don't see any scenario. Because think about this. They ha- they would have had to have told Trevor Ariza something that worked. I mean, obviously he wanted the money. But remember, this is the same Trevor Ariza that expressed his interest in signing with Golden State. So you passed up on a bona fide championship. Like lock it. You can lock it in that they were gonna win. That they're gonna win this yeah, year. Yeah, but he's already won a ring. He no, I know. Ring, he's already won. I know. I know. Yeah. But I'm saying you you pass up another chance to get another ring. So if you were going to Phoenix, you still want to play. Like money is great, but you still at the end of the day want to be able to play. So I doubt he went there uh, with Phoenix saying, "Listen, well, we're gonna be starting Josh Jackson. We're gonna be playing Mikel Bridges." We'll try to work you in. I, I doubt that yeah. was how it went. I, I kind of think they were telling him, listen, if not a starter, you'll at least be coming. No, he'll definitely be a starter. I'm sorry. I take that back. Um, we want you to be uh, in the starting lineup, and we want you to coach up Mikel Bridges, um, who's going to be coming off the bench. I really right. think Josh Jackson is, is, is going to be out. I do think there is an actual silver lining to it. Because I agree with you. If there is no silver lining – God bless this Phoenix uh, organization. If there's no silver lining, this just completely is idiotic. They could have used any other position besides the one that they have two future uh, players, you know, uh, two two young guys that they brought in and drafted kind of high um, yeah, back to, to play back. that position. So and it's like, all right, that just – and T.J. Warren yeah, is and like you said the, Warren. the quintessential, like, sixth man because he's a bucket getter. And so you bring him in as your sixth man, and he gets you buckets off the bench. Like, like Ariza is not that. Like, Ariza is like, you know, three and D glue guy. He's not. He's not a sixth man type. I think you're right. I mean, I think you would ultimately be planning on starting him. Um, 
my thing is this, maybe, maybe they're thinking about we're going to run Devin Booker at the point and, you know, we're going to let Jackson play the two, Ariza play the three, work McHale bench, work Warren off the bench, and then, you know, develop Aiton all the meanwhile. I think that's that's the only way that makes sense, and I just I, – I don't – I could be wrong, but I don't see Devin Booker as the James Harden type who converts from a two to a one. I would have been looking to sign a point guard, and I, I definitely would not have, have put together all that money for a reason. I mean, I know he's a good defender. I know he's a good team guy. I can see how I can see a pathway to which it works, even if they don't make a trade. But I, I don't know, man. Um, I, I think I, it was a waste of money. I would have, if I was Phoenix, I would have rather like been in the market as to like I will take on a Kenneth Fareed for some draft consideration and try to use that extra draft consideration along with what I have to you know do something else. But then again, if I was Phoenix. There's no way I would have fucking traded the unprotected Miami 2021 pick for Mikael Bridges. Like I, I have Zaire Smith. Yes. Like I, I wouldn't have done I that mean, either. So, to be completely honest with you, Nick, we very easily uh, told Phoenix exactly what they needed to do to put together a an unbelievable lineup, um, and we put together a way that they could have possibly tried to uh, get Rozier, um, made a pitch to Paul George, and tried to pull off Carl Anthony Towns, along with still obviously keeping uh, Booker. I, I just, to me, I, I feel like a lot of teams see what Boston did, and they assume, all right, well, let's build these young pieces. Let's keep these draft picks. And it's like, if you don't know how to draft, that doesn't work. Like, it right. just does not Work. That's why I told you. Yeah, and and short of Booker, it, short of Booker, right. they have not done a great job drafting. Right, and I told Joel, if if Frank turns out to be something special, cool. If Knox turns out to be something special, cool. But if not, you guys at some point when you, when you develop something like when you get a, a core, you at some point when you start to get these tradable assets, whether it's young pieces or dra- or draft picks maybe have to start looking into trading it for a sure thing. Because, yeah. one, you may not develop well, and, two, you may not draft well. So it's just like, I agree with you. They should have been the number one team that called Denver up and was like, are you serious about this free deal? Because we'll gladly yeah. take them, plus that 11th overall pick. I think it was the 11th overall pick. We'll take 14th. that. And 14th, I apologize. And we'll, we'll spin yeah, I it think, to make I it think, work I, so we can get I don't think that pieces. deal – I don't think that deal was on the table because I think had it been, I think there would have been, uh, I think the Hawks would have taken it. I think there's other teams that would have taken it. But my my point being, even if that deal wasn't on the table, you could take it on for Reed and maybe get a future pick out of it. You know, like I, right. I still yeah. think that is on the table. Like I still think the Hawks are, are probably trying to figure out if they can make a package work where they take on for Reed and essentially, um, you know, get, get some kind of draft consideration, you know, a, a future first-round pick that's lottery-protected, um, but that eventually conveys into a first-round pick at some point, you know. Um, I, I Yeah. 
I, I, I don't, I just don't get it, man. I don't get it. I don't get why you would double that. The only thing that I can think is they're taking a different page out of the Celtics book and they're saying you can never have enough wing depth. And that's all fine and good if you've already got, you know, a point guard. They don't have a point right. guard. They have Brandon Knight. They drafted Ilya Kobo, who I'm pretty high on, but there's no guarantee that he's going to come in and light up the league. And I, I don't personally like Devin Booker. And then you have Tyler Eulis, who's – I mean, that guy's a backup point guard. Like, he's a he's a good backup point guard, but he's a backup point guard. He's never going to be a – at least in my opinion, he's never going to be a starter. So, you know, I don't know, man. I, I just don't like it. No, and like I said, I, I get where you're coming from. I 100% get where you're coming from. But you asked me, did I see a silver lining? And if not for me seeing or trying to see that silver lining, I would completely be right alongside you saying, like, I just hate everything about it. But obviously, well, obviously the money is the biggest reason why Ariza probably took it. But I'm pretty sure they told him, like, they had a way to make it work. Um, and I, this will be a team that I'm looking out for, uh, cause they do have nice young pieces. Uh, you look mm-hmm. at a team like Denver, they had a cornerstone and they were able to build, you know, somewhat around that and try to make a push. You look at Utah, Utah does not have that many like outstanding pieces. They have enough to make it work surrounded by, um, Donovan Mitchell and they were able to make the playoffs. I'm saying, Phoenix, if you can get Devin Booker playing elite, you can get Aiton just to be, like, just somewhat of, of anything that people were assuming he could be, this team should should be one of the ones that you look at and say it could possibly, if not this year, next year, be a dark horse for at least being in contention for that eighth spot. Then again, it's Phoenix. They will find a way to ruin something. So, I mean, like <laughs> I said, at the end of the day – Ariza, all I can say is there's a silver lining somewhere, but if not, I wouldn't be shocked because it's Phoenix. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, side note, I just got it on ESPN too, and it's 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 on silent. I just walked in, and I'm I'm currently watching for the first time like the weirdest sport I have ever seen. Essentially, it's a it's uh, a guy and a girl team versus another guy and a girl team. Both guys have ponytails because I feel like this is a very hippie sport. And um, <laughs> essentially what it, it is – are you watching it now too? Essentially yeah. uh, there is, a, there is a, uh, a, a circle which looks at about, about a 10-foot diameter around a, like a hula hoop in the middle, which is why I ultimately think this is a hippie sport. This, this had to be created by hippies uh, with, with – they were like – Man, I'm really tired of hula hooping. Like, what, wonder what else we could do with this hula hoop. Like, hey, I have this bouncy ball. Like, <laughs> like let's make a sport. <laughs> um, so essentially, it's 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 like it's kind of like ping pong, in which, or it's like a combination of ping pong and volleyball. So they have to they start outside this circle and they serve it, and then you get I think it looks like two hits, and then you have to hit it back into the circle, and then the next team has to play off that. This is the weirdest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life, dude. This is awesome. Yes. <laughs> to, to everyone listening, it is called Spike Ball. Um, ah, okay. And it is definitely one of the weirdest sports I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. 
Um, I, I, I don't get it. And I will tell you this. If you guys, because obviously everyone knows, Full Court Press is going to be one of the hugest sports shows. Uh, if you guys ever invite us to come watch one of these things, Unless you are selling legal marijuana, I do not think I would ever be able to sit and watch. Yeah, I definitely have to be a couple whiskey drinks in to uh, to do this. Um, I mean, I, I will, will say, say this. I will say I would I would, I would participate at a music festival. Um, you know, just just for the sake of shits and giggles. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, this is this is a strange, uh, very strange sport. It, it, it's amazing the crowd the, that they have. What is? What do you think? There's like fifty to hundred people out there. Yeah, I say it's <laughs> at least a hundred, and there's different games of spikeball going on behind the the one we're watching. But I will well, say yeah. the only the only good thing that I could look at from this match and and pull anything good from it is. The two girls on each team aren't the worst things to look at. So it's just like, I mean, there's like a <laughs> yes. caveat somewhere in there. They they are pretty <laughs> cute. Uh, and for, for right. the girls out there, the guys are very handsome as well. So we're, we're dealing with, you, with uh, you know, hashtag feminism, hashtag uh, we are equal. Um, so, you know, you, you, you've got very attractive people all the way around to look at. So, um, yeah, go. no, it's. It's very interesting. Anyway, back to basketball. <laughs> uh, sorry for the distraction, but I, I just couldn't. I was like, what the hell am I looking at? Um, so in re- in reaction to the Ariza deal, the uh, the Rockets uh, elected to uh, bring back Gerald Green. I think that makes a lot of sense. He was, he was a good spark plug off the bench. He hit some clutch threes for them from time to time. And it only cost them a one-year, $2.4 million veteran minimum deal. They also brought in Michael Carter-Williams, which he has struggled in pretty much every venue that he has participated in since his rookie season where he won Rookie of the Year. Uh, also a one-year minimum deal. I, I I like the Gerald Green deal, especially since they lost Trevor Reza. I thought they should really be trying to sign him anyway. I'm kind of surprised that Gerald Green didn't I – mean, maybe he did test the market, and maybe the market wasn't too big on him, but I think he could have gotten a one-year deal worth more than $2.4 million. Um, I mean, just look at a team like Philadelphia. I think Philly probably would have offered him, you know, one-year $5 million, so double what he was making. They have the cap space to do it. As far as Mike Carter-Williams, you're just lucky that any team, like, essentially that the Rockets really wanted a guy who could – basically be the third string point guard because, you know, obviously Chris Paul plays point guard. James Harden plays point guard when Chris Paul is not on the court. They, I think just essentially wanted a guy who could step in and play a little bit of point guard when they needed to in blowout games or in, you know, essentially moments where, you know, maybe CP3 is hurt or James Harden is hurt and they need somebody to fill that backup role. They haven't really had that. So I get it in that sense, but, you know, again, Mike Carter-Williams, you're just lucky that somebody wanted you. Um, We talk a lot of shit to a lot of players on this show. I wonder if this is ever going to get us in trouble when we start doing interviews. (laughs) But, uh, um, but nevertheless, uh, what did you think about them uh, bringing back Gerald Green and bringing in Michael Carter-Williams? Well, you know my shit talking is never going to stop. Uh, <laughs> <Michael Carter-Williams laughs> what up, Kyle Lowry? Is, 
<laughs> yeah, shout out to Kyle Lowry. Um, Michael Carter Williams is not a signing that they needed, even in the slightest. I, I don't understand it, not even one bit. Um, you still have Clint Capella that is still out there. You haven't re-signed him back. You gave him an offer. He didn't like it. You do know the only reason a lot of people – well, not the only reason. One of the biggest reasons people had Houston even slightly having a chance at beating Golden State was the big three that they had, Harden, Capella, and Paul. Now you're telling me that there's no, there's possibly no Capella? Yeah, no, we're, we're not giving you a shot with just CP3 and, and, and Harden, especially with the idea of CP3 has somebody – who is, like, trained in mystic arts that really hates him. Every time they get to a point in the playoffs to where it's like, all right, we need CP3, and we can really make a push here. CP3 is like, nope, sorry, can't, my name. It's just like, dude, at the worst possible times, it's like, come on. Every time. At game six, game seven, this is where we need you the most. And you're now injured? So, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like Michael Carter-Williams isn't going to make you any bit of difference, good or bad, or anything in between. It's just a stupid signing. Like, it, it, if Harden's <laughs> out and you put in Michael Carter-Williams, you're not winning any games with Michael Carter-Williams. You'll lose some because Michael Carter There's not much the guy can do. He can't shoot. He's not aggressive no. offensively. His defense no. is, 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 like, spotty at best. And it should be a lot better. You're a six has. foot six point yeah. guard. You should be really good at yeah. defense. You should you should be he like Lonzo. The like yeah, yeah, like Lonzo the reason Lonzo has has you know, played good defense in his in his freshman campaign is because of his length. And like Michael Carter Williams could be as good as de- at defense as Lonzo Ball. And it's just like why are you not? <laughs> yeah. And like I said, he's he's just a waste of his length. Like you like you were just pointing out, he's a waste of his length. Uh, he's never amounted to anything outside of his rookie year. And you're signing him. I I could care less if you sign him for a one year five dollar deal. It still makes no sense. Like he's not adding anything to your roster. I I don't get it. Uh, I mean, if anything, I would have made uh I would have made a um. And offer to Rondo, and I would have told CP3 like, get over it. Like, I, I don't care if Rondo's the guy you know, that comes off the bench. I would have. I just need I a, a really said, good backup point guard. I would have said Alfred Payton because he signed like essentially the same deal with New Orleans, and it's like you oh, could have gone okay, to Alfred yeah. Payton and been like, "Yo, come play for us. Like, we'll give you the same amount of money, and you know, yeah, you'll be you'll definitely be the backup, but like." you know, check it out. Like, you, you'll have a chance to win a championship. You'll have a chance to be a big contributor. Like, um, I don't know, maybe maybe that could have worked. I think probably the biggest reason why that wouldn't have worked is because you have kind of a tandem point guard system already where usually, like, 99 times out of 100, or 99 minutes out of 100, if you will, either CP3 or James Harden is, is going to be the point guard, you know, so – Maybe Peyton would have looked at that and said he didn't get enough minutes. And he is a Louisiana native, so maybe that helped influence his decision to go to New Orleans. But nevertheless, probably like, did. <laughs> yeah. Probably nevertheless, I agree with you. I, I I pretty much agree with you wholeheartedly on the Michael Carter Williams thing. Like I get it. You know, you got to use that money like somehow. Well, you don't have to actually. <laughs> um, but. Uh, but if you're going, if you, if if you want to get a backup point guard who you, you know ultimately you're not going to rely on at all, 
and, you know, all the other guys want more minutes than what you're going to be able to provide them, sure, go ahead and, and, and go get yourself. I don't know. They they have a guy right now, though, um, at least I think he's still on the roster. I forget his first name, but I think his last name is Brown, um, who was kind of fit that, that mold for them, was that role. And, you know, I mean, he, he did all right, you know, and, and, in those like garbage minutes and whatnot, like, I don't know. I feel like he showed me enough to where I would trust him to play eight minutes at a time. You know, I mean, that's honestly, that's all you're looking for out of, out of this player. You're, you're looking for about eight minutes and then garbage minutes. Like that's it. Um, because the only time you're going, they're going to get those eight minutes is in, is when, like I said, either CP3 or Harden is hurt in the eight, to maybe 12 minutes a game they don't play, that they have to rest. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I feel like it's a superfluous signing. So I agree with you in that extent. Uh, your thoughts on Gerald Green, though, that, that, that's a smart deal. Um, right? Yeah, that, that, that's a smart deal. And I, I think the biggest reason he decided to stay there uh, instead of maybe possibly going somewhere else where the money might have been better uh, is the loyalty. I don't remember if it was Harden or Chris Paul that got him out of, you know, just sitting on the couch to come back right. to the NBA. No one else right, was really giving right, Gerald right, right. Green uh, an opportunity. So I, I think and, loyalty And he was, was reportedly one of those guys involved with the Blake Griffin thing. Like, it was, he was one of yes. the four guys from Houston who was like, that's my team. Like, so that, yep. you know – so, I, yeah, I agree. I think ride. it probably is loyalty. Not to mention, you know, there's no state tax in Houston, so the deal right. that you would have to be getting somewhere else would have to essentially be enough to cover the fact that there's no state tax. So right. that helps. So, I mean, I just look at it, and I, I think loyalty played a, a big part. And you were in the Western Conference Finals. So if I'm the yeah. Rockets, my sell to you shouldn't be that difficult. Um, we were in the Western Conference right. Finals. We were an injury away from possibly knocking off the Golden State to to go to the finals. So I mean, yeah. my I just feel like my pitch to you shouldn't be that difficult. <laughs> so sure. it, it makes sense for both sides. And I, like I said, I think loyalty was a big thing with Gerald Green. I think Chris Paul and Harden probably. So I'm like, listen, we loved having you. Just stay, man. Just stay here and let's continue to try to let's try to do it again uh, next yeah. year. And I think ultimately he just was like, all right, I'm in. No, I ultimately I think you're right. Um, let's let's move on. Um, we we kind of brought up Alfred Payton, so let's jump ahead to that. Uh, Julius Randle agreed to a two-year, eighteen million dollar deal, and Alfred Payton agreed to a one-year, two point four million dollar deal with New Orleans. So essentially, they lose Rondo, they lose Cousins, they bring in Payton and Randle, both younger, uh, not as good but still very promising young players. I, I, like, I, I, I like the fit between Julius Randle and, um, and uh, um, Anthony Davis. I think the, the biggest slide on Randle is that he can't really stretch the floor like a DeMarcus Cousins. But, like, DeMarcus Cousins, they, they don't really need Randle to do that. The way I see Randle working into this lineup is I think Davis is going to play most of your five now. But we saw that throughout the playoffs. 
I think Miritich is going to play is going to be your starting four. I think the way you utilize Randall is kind of filling in the minutes between them. So let's say you have the four, you have the five, you have 48 minutes apiece at each each position. That gives if you rotate three players in that, that gives 32 minutes between you know all of the various players. So I think Randall essentially plays most of his minutes alongside Miritich and then alongside Davis. And if they do it like that, to me, that works out really well because the guy can rebound, the guy can play defense. He is a little undersized, but he he plays bigger than he is. He made a lot of great strides with the Lakers, you know, in, in the second half of last season. I, I think he fits really well with them if they utilize that kind of rotational basis. And, you know, the fact that you offered Cousins a, a, a two-year, $40 million deal and he turned it down, well, you got Randall for two years, $18 million. Granted, the second year is a player option, so he could opt out. But nevertheless, that's still, like, you're only paying him $9 million. And, you know, you're using him as a, good rotational piece to fill out your front court, your four and your five. I like it. I think it's really good. My biggest thing is I think their number one concern should have been a wing player, but we don't, you know, we don't know that any wing player was really interested in going there. We don't know how much that would have cost them. So the fact that they were able to secure their four and their five position with, with cousins leaving and getting a guy who can, trade off playing with both uh, Nikola Mirosic and Anthony Davis, I think it's a smart move. I think it's really good. I think his lack of range will be neutralized by the fact that Davis obviously has range and Mirosic definitely has range. So I think it's a smart move as far as a way to replace uh, the guy that you lost. Do you see it the same way or do you think maybe fit might be an issue? Uh, no, I see it the exact same way. I'll even, uh, just because we haven't had one together, because we haven't had a show together uh, in, in, in a little while, I'm going to give you a hot take, Nick. I'm going to say mm. that Julius Randle will have the equivalent of a season on the Pelicans that Oladipo had in his first year as a pacer. Wow. That's what I'm putting out there. Randle will have a huge season with the Pelicans this year uh, because I, I view him going to the Pelicans the same way I did Oladipo going to uh, the Pacers. No expectation. Like, there's none. No one, no one when that trade happened thought Oladipo was going to come in and pretty much be the, the new face of that franchise. No one did. Right. There were little expectations. I mean, because if you couldn't play well with Westbrook, which we're seeing now seems to be uh, uh, a, an ongoing thing, uh, it was like, well, I don't. I, how do I think you're going to be able to go by yourself and and do something? So he shocked everybody uh, with how well he played, and I think it, it's mainly because there were no expectations. So we'll see this year now that there are expectations how he responds to it. Um, but last year he was able to just play free. There were no expectations. No one was saying put the city on your back. No one was saying. Uh, you know, uh, go for most improved. No one was saying we need you to average almost 20, 30 a, a game. None of that was put on his shoulders. Same exact thing with Randall. 
there are no expectations. He is replacing DeMarcus Cousins. No one's expecting Randall to come out here and do anything even remotely close to what DeMarcus was doing before he got injured. But I'm going to say, because of that, and let's not forget, he ended the season with the Lakers really on fire. Like, he played a really great second half of that season. Um, I think he's going to come out guns blazing. He's going to be a great uh, partner to AD, and he's going he's gonna to come out, and he's really going to put up some, some good numbers. And I think Julius Randle might be, whether he's able to maintain it the full year or not, we'll see. Uh, I think he will, but I think he might be in your most improved conversation for this upcoming season. Wow, that's high praise. Um, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I think he could definitely be in the running for sixth man of the year. Um, simply oh, so because I think that's how – yeah, I do. I have Miritich and Anthony Davis starting and then him coming off the bench and rotating with those two guys to get 30 minutes a game or, you know, close to it. Oh, um, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, so like, I personally... but, but, but hey, like, here's the thing. The two are not mutually exclusive. If he puts up great numbers in his 30-ish you know, minutes a game off the bench, he could get both. I mean, he can win six men a year and be, you know, most improved player. So, I like. I, I mean, I totally think. I, I totally think that could happen. So, I don't know, man. I I think it's a possibility. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like it's way too early to tell. There's still, you know, a lot of moves to be made and all that. So it'll be easier to determine once all of the dominoes um, have fallen. But. Yeah, I, I, I do have him coming off the bench. You were going to say you – I guess maybe you have Miritich coming off the bench? Yeah, only reason, I prefer coming off the, only reason I prefer him coming off the bench is his his thing is strictly like scoring. Like Miritich mm-hmm. can score the hell out of the basketball. So mm-hmm. I want someone – I want someone that electric coming off my bench. Because uh, with Randall, I'm giving him high praise. Like, I'm putting these huge expectations on him. That doesn't mean he's going to actually come out and do it. So if he comes out and he's nowhere near as, as good as he was in the second half of last season, whether he's starting or coming off the bench, he's not really helping you out that much. With Miritic, if you at least have him coming off the bench, if Randall isn't giving you much in the starting lineup, just rotate that out, bring in Miritic, um with, with the second unit, and he can kind of get things going. Uh, then you, you know, you – uh, rotate AD back in so he's with Miritic a little bit. There's just so many different ways you can make that work. Um, Randall, because he's more of an inside guy, um, I think he'd be he'd be really good because AD can pull your five out. So it then leaves Randall one-on-one with his man in an open lane. So I think Randall can kind of take advantage of having AD next to him uh, in that starting lineup, because AD can pull his, yeah. you know, his defender out, because you have to come out and guard AD from behind the three-point line now. So right. that gives Randall a one-on-one advantage, and then an open lane. So to me, if I'm Randall and if I'm if I'm Alvin uh, Gentry, I'm looking at that and I'm like, although I guess like you said, you can rotate it out and then work him in, uh, you know, at, at certain points with AD. I just like having Randall be able to take advantage playing alongside AD, knowing that he could have a possible open lane uh, if he can get past his man. Yeah, and I, I agree with you ultimately, and I think either either direction they go. It's 
there are positives to both sides and very few negatives to either. So you're right. either having Miritich come out and, and dominate and score against second units, or you're having Randall come out and dominate the boards against and, 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 and inside the paint against second units. So it's just, I think it's trial and error and which one kind of works best for you. Um, my biggest thing as far as why I would want Randall to be more of coming off the bench and sharing his minutes between Davis and Miritich, which he's going to do anyway, regardless of whether he comes off the bench or not. I mean, we saw last season, like Cousins and Davis were, when they were both healthy, they were, there was always one of them on the floor. And I think you'll see that with, with these two guys. Um, but my biggest thing is, is they were most effective when they were not playing aside one another. They were able to showcase their talents most when that was in play. So that being said, that's kind of what I'm thinking of as far as him being the guy to come off the bench and the fact that they played so well in the playoffs, uh, you know, with the lineup that they had. So that's more of my train of thought of, why you might go that route. But that being said, I think we're both, like, as far as if you were going to lose to Marcus Cousins, you made a really good signing to find a guy who could come in and fill the void as far as positionally, not as far as talent, just as far as positionally, as far as what Cousins offered. The one thing that you don't have, or the biggest thing that you don't have from Randall is uh, an ability to stretch the floor. I think he was a below 30% three-point shooter last year, like roughly about 29. Now, maybe he can improve those numbers, um, but the fact that you traded for Miritich, I think, helps helps you in the fact that like you don't need him to do that because, you know, Miritich can do that. Anthony Davis can obviously stretch the floor. So you don't need him to, to do that as much, whereas with Cousins, you didn't have Miritich until after he got hurt. So, you needed his ability to shoot 35, 36% from three and to have that threat. So, but as far as like ball handling, passing, uh, close as far as rebounding, like Randall hits a lot of those marks and you're not dealing with a guy coming off a torn Achilles and you're getting him for $11 million less than the offer that you put forth to DeMarcus Cousins. So, I like it. I think it's I think it's a really good like I think it's a really good counter option to to what you initially wanted. Like you didn't get what you wanted, so you got what you needed. Very Rolling Stones of you. I like it, Pelicans. Um it, but uh I don't know if you you didn't get that reference. That's okay. Maybe some listeners did. Um <laughs> can you, I just, you can't always can get what say? you want. But if you try sometimes, you might find you get what you need. Uh, but anyway, yes, go ahead. Say what you say. Can I just say really quickly, the fact mm-hmm. that DeMarcus Cousins uh, didn't take that two-year option that the Pelicans gave him, I felt like was a little disrespectful to AD. Let's not forget when yeah. DeMarcus Cousins went down right before uh, the All-Star break in the All-Star game, Anthony Davis wore his jer- wore his jersey. Uh, to mm. show him love and support right. uh, for that crazy injury that DeMarcus went through. And I thought just off of that, like, at least just do, like, a, a three-year deal, uh, but with, with, like, the option for the third year. 
So, like, if, if it's still not working out, you have your chance to, to go somewhere else or something like that. But to, to get an offer from them and not accept it, it's just like AD kind of deserved at least two year, two more years out of you, Boogie. Like, come on, man. Like, the guy shows you so much love. And let's not forget, there was a point when they were both healthy that everyone was kind of like, I don't know, man. This team could be super dangerous. They could stay healthy. And then right around when we said that, boom, Boogie went down. It was like, right. oh, well, there you go. Yeah, um, and the yeah. funny, the ironic thing is we were all saying, man, this team could be really good if Anthony Davis can just stay healthy. <laughs> <laughs> Fate was like, all right, AD's not the one you have to worry about. It was like, oh, come right. on, man. Like, why yeah. can't you just let these guys stay healthy so we can have a fun – because I tell you what, if they still came in at, at eight and played – no, no, I'm sorry, they came in at seventh, I believe. It had to play Golden State with DeMarcus and AD healthy – it would have been as much as I love me from Golden State, I tell you what, that would have been one for the ages, man. It would have been fun to watch, for sure. Um, but anyway, uh, let's quickly address Alfred Payton. Payton, obviously, he's never kind of lived up to the, his, his draft status as being, I believe, the number 10 overall pick uh, taken by Philly and then traded to Orlando. Um, he, I mean, it's weird. If you look at his numbers on paper, they look pretty good. He's actually, on paper, I can't remember what his percentage is, but he's not a bad three-point shooter. He's really inconsistent, and he only takes them when he's wide open. He cannot hit a, a, a three when he's got any sort of um, person within like a five-foot radius of him. But I think this is a good opportunity for him. Obviously, now with Rondo out, He's going to probably be the starting point guard on this team. Obviously, still a downgrade from Rondo as far as what Rondo was last year. Um, I I still think that both he and Randall have the potential to take steps forward as far as improving their game. And I, I mean, again, it's another it's another like B move. Like, yes, you couldn't keep Rondo. Yes, you couldn't keep Cousins, but if you if you look at the deal that they had offered Cousins, and if you look at the deal that Rondo eventually signed with the Lakers, you're saving what like fifteen more fifteen plus million dollars, seventeen eighteen million dollars as far as gas space. That's huge. You're staying out of the luxury tax by doing this, and I, I don't know. I think I think all things considered. Alfred Payton has potential. I still he to me he kind of reminds me of uh, Moutier. Like he is a guy who was drafted pretty high, who hasn't quite made the the impact enough to be to 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 hold on to a starting role. Like we all see the potential for both of those guys to be starters, and they could definitely reach that potential. Um, they just haven't quite had the consistency enough in order to fully realize that. But I, I think he could. I think he's found himself in a good situation, uh, in a place where he's probably comfortable comfortable being the best where he's from. And I really like the fact that, you know, they basically made this move wanting him to be the backup, but I think they were kind of hedging their bets and saying, well, but if Rondo leaves – 
we see the potential in this guy to be a starter, especially playing next to a guy like Drew Holiday who can help him out so much. Like, he's got that that versatility to be able to take some of the pressure off of him. I like it. I think it's a good move. Obviously, you want him to improve on his three-point shooting, um, particularly because you don't really have a wing who is really good at three-point shooting. Etwan um, Moore is probably your best, but he's undersized at the three. I still think he'll probably be their starting three to start the season with, you know, Solomon Hill having the potential to take over that role. But I, I, I think, it, again, I think it's another smart signing by the Pelicans. I've been impressed with essentially, you know, they're a small market. They haven't, you know, wowed anybody as far as what they've been able to accomplish. But I think they've quietly accomplished a lot, and I think this signing was really good for them. Your thoughts? Uh, I agree. I don't think it was a bad signing at all. I do see the potential upside in him. Uh, I've never been that high on him because uh, I always felt like <clears throat> he wasn't aggressive enough. Uh, and that at some point was my issue with Moutier, uh, which is why I'm really glad Fizdale is working alongside of him. And he decided to, you know, because I, I honestly thought they were going to draft a point guard. And I was really devastated. I was like, you don't need a point guard. Like, don't go draft the one thing you do not need. Like, you have three of them, three really good ones, and you want to draft a point guard. Um, so I was really glad that they didn't, and it looks like they're going to keep the three of them uh, to further develop Moutier alongside uh, Frank and uh, Trey Burke. Um, but I, I look at Hayden and I go, I, I really like um, what I've seen from him, like, in spot. But he just – he never – I wanted more from him. And like I said, a, aggressiveness is, is kind of where I, I land on what I wanted more from the kid. And he looks like he's he's, he's in a position to where he's going to have to be because Drew Holiday doesn't seem like in this point in his career he's going to let somebody come in alongside of him that's not about it. Like he's going to make sure that Peyton is – let's not forget Drew Holiday had a really good season last year. Like yeah, I, mean, I think he shocked a lot of people. Uh, not as far as ability, but just as far as, like, Drew Holiday has always been, like, just riding riding the line. And it was just, like, he's never really shown you, like, his true potential. Last year he did, defensively yeah. and offensively. Um, yeah. So it's just one of those things where it's, like, I don't think Holiday is going to let this kid slide. I think he's going to force him to, to be something, you know, to, to step up. So it's going to be fun to see what that team looks like with the possibility of, like, it being Peyton – uh, Holiday, uh, I can't remember who they would put at the three, Randall, and then AD. So it, it's going to be a lot of fun to see what they do with this roster uh, and to see what the final uh, starting lineup looks like because that's what I'm really looking forward to, to seeing yeah. who they actually decide to start. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with you. Um, all right, let's move on. Jeremy Grant has agreed to a three-year $27 million deal uh, with – the Thunder and Nerlens Noel has agreed to a two-year deal with an undisclosed amount with the Thunder as well. I really like both of these deals. I think Grant is uh, a key cog in their piece, and I was worried that because of cap space and luxury tax problems that they he, they were going to have to let him walk. And you know what? This proves to me like this whole notion of 
um, these NBA owners who are like, or or people who justify NBA owners not paying luxury tax and saying, well, you know, they just couldn't afford them. Like, no, like you can't afford somebody if they're not already on your team. Like, you just have to bite the bullet and pay the luxury tax. And if the fucking Oklahoma City Thunder can do it, like, anybody can do it. That's like you're talking about one of the smallest markets in the NBA, and if not the smallest market in the NBA. And I love it. I love the fact that they were like, no, we're, we're like, whoever their owner is, I'm not sure who it is, but it's like basically like Sam Presti, like, do what you can do to win me a championship. I feel like we're a contender, like, Hold on to Jeremy Grant if we can keep Paul George. They kept Paul George, so they held on to Jeremy Grant. And, you know, I think that was probably part of the negotiations with Paul George. Is like, look, we'll, we don't care about the money. Like, we'll sign you to a max deal, and we'll bring back Jeremy Grant on a, you know, a reasonable deal, you know, as long as we can keep you. And, you know, they followed through. They signed, they signed him. Uh, and they also kept Raymond Felton at a, a $2.4 uh, million dollar deal and brought in and Nerland's Noel. So they've addressed kind of all of their rotational needs, sort of maybe having an extra wing player with some, some absolute reliability and versatility. Um, just another guy who could, who you can plug and play, um, especially, you know, now that we saw how much of a hit Robertson uh, going down affected them. And, of course, you know, I think Jeremy Grant was a necessity as far as, you know, their, their, the reports have come out that they're obviously looking to move Carmelo, and we'll discuss that on Monday at great length. But for now, just re-signing Jeremy Grant, bringing back Ray Felton, uh, and, and um, uh, bringing in Nerlens Noel to be a backup to Stephen Adams. I like all three of these moves. I think they're all really good. And I think Jeremy Grant could find himself being a starter next season. Um, and I think, honestly, anybody who was watching the playoffs with an open mind and, and, and the lens of, you know, maybe Mello should be coming off the bench would have said, I, I would prefer to see Jeremy Grant as starting power forward in this rotation uh, and, and just see Mello as, as the guy who comes off the bench as kind of the sixth man. But anyway, all that, being said, your thoughts on them signing Jeremy Grant uh, and bringing back Felton as well and uh, bringing in Nerlens Noel as the uh, backup to Steven Adams. Well, let me get one thing out of here. I've never been a fan of Raymond Felton, so instead of being negative, I'll just say nothing. Uh, but okay. the other two signings, um, I, I really do like. And Nerlens is another guy that if he could develop a consistent jumper – I think that's a guy I would like. Um, yeah, not a three-point shot, in, but like a 12 to no, 16 not a three point foot shot. jumper. Yeah, just a mid-range. Yeah. Just mid-range. Yeah. If he could, if he had a mid-range game, Nick, I'm going to be 100% honest with you, I'd want him starting. I'd want him next to um, Steven Adams. Next to Adams? I'd want that Ooh. length. Yeah, I'd want gotcha. that length. If he could knock down the mid-range. That's all I'm asking him to do. Because think about this. If you had Westbrook, Roberson, Paul George, Nerlens, and Adams. That's a lot of length that you have to deal with. Yeah, uh, but Grant's got a lot of length. Of I, I, I still would want Jeremy Grant. I mean, he can hit the three. Oh, and, oh no, 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 you no. Know. no. I, I have nothing against against Grant. What I'm saying is is I love how Nerlens has the ability to defend, and you that length is yes. insane. 
Uh, So you driving on a lineup of Westbrook, Roberson, Paul George, Nerlens, and Adams is going to be difficult day in, day out. Yeah, yeah. Very long. Really long. Um, So, I mean, I'm like (laughs) – I'm like Coach Fizavis thing for length. So it's like if you can put all that length together and it works, she said. Uh, then I'm all for it. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Sorry. I had to Michael C. No, Scott no, you there. I, <laughs> hey, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Um, <laughs> yeah, if, if he had a mid-range game, then I would definitely want him in my starting lineup. But the fact that he doesn't, it's like he's just going to do what he does coming off the bench. And uh, it, it's going to be fun to see because he's going to always play with Westbrook. Because it seems like Westbrook only takes five minutes of rest, uh, and then right. he plays the, the the rest of the game. So <laughs> it's going to be fun having someone that can um, rebound and defend and get Westbrook those extra looks coming off the bench. Yeah, my only Absolutely. issue with uh, Nerlens is um, I don't I I think my issue with Nerlens is the same issue Jimmy has with uh, Wiggins. I don't see the dog in him. I don't see the want. Um, me. I think a lot and of that has with, to do with the teams he's played for, though. See, my issue with that is, as I was just about to say, when you get traded from the Sixers to the Mavs, you at that point have to show the league that you're not a draft bust. Like, you have to ball out. I ball agree, out but he and Carlisle just never got along for whatever reason. Like, Carlisle just didn't play him. And it was like... That's, that, is, was like that is true. I agree with you. That's true, but Knowing Rick Carlisle, uh, and me and you have watched Rick Carlisle do a great coaching job throughout the years, it seems like one of those things that if Rick Carl isn't liking what he's seeing in practice, you're not playing. So maybe he didn't like what he saw in practice. Because I haven't heard anyone come out and and say – Now he gets to go to a team with a mediocre coach instead of a great coach who will play a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. Uh, (laughs) No, I, I agree with you there. But the only reason why I don't know if I would if I would attack Carlisle in that instance is I haven't heard any player outside of like Rondo say that they had any issues with Rick Carlisle. I haven't heard anyone say that, and I haven't even really heard Rondo say it. We just saw it. Um, yeah. So I don't know if that's like on Carlisle, like you know, being one of those tough coaches, or is it that Nerlens just maybe Carlisle saw something from Nerlens that he didn't like, and he was just like, right. listen. If, if it means we'll lose, I, I won't play you. I'll risk losing. I, I, I don't I don't want you on the court. Um, yeah. But Nerlens, I need him to show out uh, and, and, and show up because Westbrook yeah. is not one of those guys that will take anything less. Um, so that will be really interesting to see that all play out and see if he will rise to, uh, to somewhat the expectations that are, that are being put on him. You're on a team that's, that's going to make the playoffs. They need you to step up and can contribute. So it'll be fun to see right. if he can consistently. Yeah, yeah, it will be. And uh, I, I do want to say I, I've thrown a lot of shade at Billy Donovan over the the course of this past season. I, allow me to give him props. I think Billy Donovan is a key cog in the reason they were able to keep Paul George. So all of the chitter-chatter that I threw out about looking for a new coach and all of that, yada, 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 and even you, Juwan, you said – when I brought that up, you were like, I don't think that's a good idea. You don't bring in a new coach when you've only got Paul George on a one-year deal. It, like, you have to rely on him to, to, if not make the right coaching decisions, make the right impressions in order to try to retain him. You were ultimately right in that regard, and i got to give you props on that because 
that's what ended up happening. Uh, Billy Billy Donovan was a huge, huge part, along with Russell Westbrook, who I think was the biggest part, as far as being able to retain Paul George. So let me allow myself to give some praise to Billy Donovan. I still question his coaching, uh, um, uh, especially as it, as it pertained to Carmelo Anthony. But I think I think a lot <laughs> of that is being addressed right now, and I think with the with the news of them, you know, wanting to move on from Melo and every everything that he was able to achieve, I think, um, in in order to keep Paul George, is is so much warranted as far as giving him the necessary props uh, as a head coach because it's more than just coaching; it's facilitating yeah. and everything else. Um, I mean, it. But uh, it it at ahead. the it at the end of the day came down to uh, Paul George seems like a guy that that is big on consistency. So mm-hmm. it's like if you had gotten rid of Billy Donovan, unless you were bringing in like this big time well known coach, I don't know how you were selling the guy on the fact that if this coach doesn't work out, you won't be getting a new coach at some right. point in the in the course of his Absolutely. four year deal. So that's yeah. why we said uh, I was saying last year that you play it out, and if Billy Donovan can't get it done this upcoming season, then you've already locked in Paul George. Get rid of the coach. It, it's the there coach. you go. So right, you or, have to lock I, I in believe, Paul George first. Right, and I think that was your point. And I think another point that you made was if he wasn't able to keep Paul George, then maybe you you look at moving on from him. But like you keep oh, him until you know. <laughs> yeah, you keep him until you know what you got with Paul George. And I think ultimately, like that was that was the right decision. That's what they decided to go with. And and um, props, you were you were absolutely right on that. Um, we got about 10 minutes left. Um, so I want to, uh, I want to talk about the jazz because the jazz, they brought back Derek favors on a two year, $36 million deal. And they brought back Dante Exum on a three year, $33 million deal. Holy overpayment, Batman. Like, dude, (laughs) who the fuck was going to offer Derek favors $18 million a season, and who the fuck was going to offer Exum $11 million a season? I I just don't get it. I don't know why you would pay these guys that much money. I Like, I like the fact that they kept favors. He was a huge – he played a huge part in their role uh, in, in knocking off the thunder and, and just in general having, having a, a, a reasonably good playoff run. But – Man, $15 million a season for Derek Favors? What? The market is so thin. Who was going to offer him that? Nobody. Nobody was going to bring that kind of deal to the table for Derek Favors. And then even crazier, Dante Exum, you mean the same guy who, like, has been one of the most underwhelming players drafted in the top five um, who's still in the NBA? Like, I just don't get it. I don't get why, if you're the Jazz, I I get bringing them both back. I just don't get why you're going to throw that much money at them. It just, it baffles me. I I would think like a two-year, $24 million deal for Favors. And for Exum, maybe like three years, $15 million, like five a year, 12 a year for for Favors. I, I think they just, crazy, crazy overpaid these guys. Am I wrong here, or do you see it the same way I do? 
Um, you're not wrong in Exum. The only reason why I somewhat understand the favors is because sometimes I agree with you. You're saying no one was going to pay him that much money. I agree. No. Sometimes you have to overpay because sometimes a player who's been in the league as long as favors would take less to go to a better team. So sure. it's like I don't want to lose him, so maybe if I overpay him, it'll be like, all right, well, I can't leave that much money on the table, right. so I'll stay. That sometimes is the game you have to play, and sometimes it's the game these teams are, are, are put into to keep these good players. Um, so we got to keep that in mind, that that was probably sure. what, that, <laughs> what that situation was. I'm sure they weren't like, yeah, no, the market's huge on this guy. Let's, let's up the ante. No. It was like, all right, he might leave for less to go to a better team. Let's make sure we can keep him. Um, I would, I would still let him leave. But, I got Jay Crowder. <laughs> like, I got Jay Crowder. I got Cephalosha. I got um, Jonas uh, Jonas Rebko, or, or Jonas Rebko, as it were. I've got those guys. I've got the guy. I'm not overpaying Derek Favors. I'm just, again, I think twelve million dollars a year for two years. I would have maybe even thrown in a third year, like $12 million a year for three years. But, like, $18 million for Derek Favors? Like, the guy didn't even make an impact until the playoffs, and I get it. Like, the playoffs are the most important, but, like, that was that was one series where he was situ- situationally relevant. Given the course of the whole season – he is so oftentimes not situationally relevant and more relegated to backing up um, Rudy Gobert. Like, I, I don't know, man. I, I think it's a huge overpay, and I, I even think $12 million a year would be a slight overpay as far as his relevance in today's league. I just would have been willing to pay that $18 million a year. Whew. That's, I mean, good on him. Like, get your money, but, like, damn. No, I don't. I don't disagree with you at all. It's just sometimes when you're a small market like that, you don't want to let some of your 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 key guys go. And you're saying he's not even a key guy, uh, but to them maybe he is. Uh, yeah. Maybe that's somebody that they really did not want to lose out on. Uh, the, the money, like I said, could have been just to keep them. Just to keep them. They, they didn't even care what the market was. They were just like, if we overpay, we'll, we'll make sure you'll you know that that secures you staying here. Um, right. But like I said, I, I don't disagree with you at all. Um, I, I do think he was overpaid, but I'm saying I get why they had to overpay him. Because if I'm sure. favors, I mean, I see I see Cousins taking a one-year deal just to showcase that, you know, he still got it and stuff like that. Derek Favors could have entertained offers from a lot of other places that were looking to win now and just taken a lot less money uh, to do it. Um, so, I mean, you didn't want to risk that. You didn't want to risk that at all if, if you're if you're Utah. And he means yeah. that much to you, which obviously I guess he does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think again, it, it probably goes back to culture and character with him. Um, but you have to agree with me with Axum. Like a guy who's dealt with injury, he, he's a restricted free agree. agent. There's no reason to pay him $33 million over three years. Like, that's just – it's just crazy, especially when you when you have you just drafted Donovan Mitchell and you and you still have Ricky Rubio and I think you just drafted uh Grace Allen. So like you you've got 
people who could fill that position, you don't need him. Um, I feel like at least Derek Favors offers you the ability to play a small ball center. Um, but nevertheless, that's what ended up happening. Really quickly, before we go, let's talk about Derek Rose going to return to Minnesota on a one-year deal, or at least it, it seems like he's going to. Basically, like, he, he – he, we can say all we want about Tom Thibodeau running his players into the ground, but those Tom Thibodeau guys, they like Tom Thibodeau. You know, those guys that played for him on the Bulls, excuse me, really, really enjoyed playing with him. And it looks like Derrick Rose is going to come back and, and play another year in Minnesota. He played really well in the playoffs last season and even played, uh, like, played a little too. Like, played off the ball and, and was relatively effective. I was surprised by his ability I think this opens up some trade possibilities as far as Tyus Jones um, and maybe connecting him with another player and see what you can get out of that. But I think as long as it's not like an outrageous deal, as long as it's, you know, no more than a luxury tax mid-level exception, which would be like one year, $5.3 million, which is kind of what I'm expecting. It might be a little bit less than that so they can use part of that towards somebody else. I like it. I think he, he he plays really well for them last season, particularly in the playoffs. And he was kind of one of their, you know, one of their shining players in the playoffs, him and, him and Jimmy Butler. Everybody else kind of played either mediocre or like shit. So I, I kind of like it. I didn't like Rose to Minnesota initially, but after seeing what he was able to achieve with that team, I can see it. I, I like the fact that he's going to stay there, play with Tibbs, come off the bench, and, you know, contribute where he can. What do you think about it? It's a solid It's a solid move. Uh, <clears throat> it's somebody that can uh, come off the bench for uh, Teague and, and keep the offense going. Derrick Rose can still score, uh, obviously not as at, not as at a high level as he uh, could do years ago, but he can still score. Uh, he's a nice little spark plug off the bench. And like you said, I think what they should do is you should package Tyus Jones and Wiggins uh, because I guarantee See what you, you can when get. Wiggins' contract is up. Yeah, when Wiggins' contract is up, he's leaving. Like, there, there's no way you're getting well, him Well, he signed for five um, years, but but nevertheless. Wait, like, when, did he sign, when did he sign the deal? He signed the extension last season, a max extension, so for five oh, years. Oh, last season. Um, I thought it yeah. was like two years ago. I'm sorry, my bad. I apologize. No. Um, but like, but, but nevertheless, like, like I still think if you want to keep Jimmy Butler, the Wiggins does too much of the same stuff. So I agree with you on that. So. And not as well, <laughs> and, right. and not as well as right. Jimmy Butler. So right. I mean, yeah. that's that's pretty much dead weight you carry in there. And yeah. uh, like I said, he didn't show he didn't show up in in the playoffs because they they did make the yeah they played uh, Houston. Um, yeah. He didn't show up at all, uh, yeah. and, and I think a lot of that had to do with coaching scheme uh, against the Rockets. Like, Thibodeau just didn't have – like, he didn't put the best product out against that Rockets team uh, right. at a lot of situational moments. Um, but I do also put that on Wiggins because uh, I didn't think Wiggins yeah. showed up a lot during the regular season. Um, so I think you should definitely package him and Tyus Jones and see what you can get. Yeah. No, I mean, ultimately I agree with you in that sense. I think there is – got to be something out there that you could you could get for those two guys um but anyway that's going to do it for us we uh covered a lot juan we were able to get through a lot um and it was 
is, as always, a ton of fun uh, covering the NBA yes, with sir. you. And we have top ten tonight at 8 o'clock. We have Geek Vibes live tomorrow at what time, Juwan? Probably 8 o'clock. <laughs> Probably 8 o'clock. And then we will be back uh, Monday at 9 o'clock to cover all the free agency news that we haven't gotten to and anything that comes out between now and then. Join us for all of these shows because they're all great. Uh, and until then, until we see you again, peace. Peace. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.